Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it would be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall... And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Thank you, Juana, for reading that. Um, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to be right there where she was reading. And... Uh, Looking forward to seeing what God wants to do with this, this passage. Um, if you read the Bible in one year and you use the, the Bible through in your plan, reading plan that Nikki Gumbel puts out, you probably will recognize this story uh, where he tells a story where he and his sister, when they were out playing one day near the railroad tracks and mom, their mom was out nearby, um, they thought the railroad tracks were, you know, some abandoned tracks. But uh, then the mom started, run, stop, get off the tracks, run because she could see an express train coming, and then they, oh, they did, and the train goes by, and everybody's okay. And he uses that to explain that here's what they didn't do. They didn't argue. They didn't question. They didn't get in all huffy and go, I'm not going to do it. They didn't throw themselves down in a pitch of fit right there on the tracks. They heard her voice. They trusted her voice, and they acted on that, and it saved their lives. Now, I don't know why they listened to their mom. It could simply have been that they knew that she would take them to the woodshed if they didn't, fear. I don't know if they loved and respected their mom and did it for that reason. I don't know. Probably some combination of those. But Jesus tells us in John 14, and he says it three different times, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Love is at the heart of everything that God is and does. And obedience is his thermometer that measures our love for him by our obedience. Do we trust and follow him? And if we do, that shows him and it shows others our love for him. This passage is written out of the law. It's one of the first five books of the Bible called the law. And it's real easy to look at this and think this passage is about law and obedience, but it's about love and obedience. 
Okay? Law is what helps us discern, discern and determine whether someone's obeying or not. Okay? The reason we have laws and rules and decrees and boundaries is because our relationships require them. Because our relationships are not the way they could be or should be. We're, we're not as loving to one another as we should be and could be. We're selfish. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, there was one law. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could do anything else they wanted. Anything else they wanted. That was it. And they had a great, beautiful, amazing relationship with God that included being able to walk with him every day and talk. Can you imagine walking and talking with God and his presence so real, it's like he's right there? He may physically have manifested right there and walked with them. I don't know. He could have walked with them as a lion. He could have walked with them as a child. He could have walked with them as a king. I don't know, but he was there in a very real way. They had that relationship, and they lost it because they disobeyed the one law, the one rule. They got out of bounds. And that betrayal of trust and loss of love it led to consequences that we feel today. And it is why we have more rules and laws. So um, we, we're taking this break from Revelation because I, I just this is central to the, the parenting instructions that God gave through Moses to his people. The, the law, the first five books of the Bible, are like the founding documents for the nation of Israel. Kind of like we look at the, the Declaration of Independence and we look at the Constitution. Theirs was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy was really a summary of the first four. It was Moses' farewell preaching tour right before they were to go into the promised land after 40 years of traveling with them through the wilderness after having led them out of Egypt. And so he's recounting these teachings, these wisdoms, these things that God is calling them to do. And central to that is taking the words that God says and trusting them enough to live them, to believe them so fully that you're like resting on them for everything. So as we read through these, and this is just nine of those verses, right? I mean, we're talking about chapters and chapters and chapters of wisdom and truth. I feel like this does a really good job of, of really instructing us how to do this, how to raise kids today. You could change that today and say how to raise kids in 1600s, how to raise kids in 400 B.C., but right today, we're like, how do I do it today? Because it feels like today's different. And in a lot of ways, it is, but in a lot of ways, it's really not. The principles are truths that are timeless, and they transcend culture. So let's, with that, let's jump in. Moses has is, written is this down, word, he's gotten it straight from God, and now he's going to speak to the people. And he's really speaking to the people, knowing that many, if not most of those people, are parents. And this is what he says. These commands, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Let me stop there. He's referring to these words that I'm reading and the, the five books that, that are called the Torah or the, the law or the Pentateuch. And he says, these are what I've been teaching you. And he says, teaching you to observe. 
Now, our Western mind sees the word observe, and we go, that's something I do from a distance. It's something I do casually. It's something I just, I don't, I don't engage. I just notice. And that is not at all the way the Hebrew mind worked. The Hebrew language, this Hebrew language is a language of action. And to, to hear, to observe, is another way of saying, not only do I see it, observe it, recognize it, understand it, but I act on it. It's kind of like saying, okay, you need me to run an errand? Sure. Where do you need me to go? I've got the keys in my hand, and I'm ready to head to the door. All I need is instructions on where you want me to go. And, and God's word is like that, especially if the Hebrews would have read that. When we read a command, it's something that I am postured to do. Now, what he's going to give next, and this is, I think, the real gold here today. He's going to tell moms, he's going to tell you why this is important. He's going to tell you why this matters more than anything else that you do. And any t- so anytime you hear this phrase, so that, he's telling you a reason. He's answering the question, why should I do what you just said? So what did he say? I'm teaching you to observe in the land, that would be the promised land, that you are crossing the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, to possess. They had it, and yet they didn't yet. Okay, they had the promised land, it, was, it had their name on it, but they hadn't taken it yet. They were still outside of it, ready to cross the Jordan River to go in and acquire it, take it. Kind of like a gift under the tree with your package, you've got your name on it. It's yours, but you haven't acquired it, you don't possess it yet. You have to take the step of faith to actually go get it, even though it's got your name on it. And there's another whole sermon there. So here's reason number one. So that, and I'm in, I'm in, verse, uh, I'm in verse two. So that you, that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And how would we do that? By keeping all his decrees and commands that I give to you. And so that, and he's going to give another reason, but let's just, let's, let's make sure we understand this. Fear the Lord. So that sounds bad. Um, because the Bible really teaches we're not to live by fear, we're to live by faith. Okay? We're to fear everything. We're not to fear anything or at all, not people, not places, not circumstances, except the Lord God. But the word fear here is that fear of reverential awe. It's a recognition of authority and power that is greater than, and it's holy. So it's not authority or power or something that I should fear because it's unholy. Okay? One of the challenges in our country right now is that there are people in our country that are afraid of being pulled because they feel like their life may be in danger, even though those pulling them are, are officers of the law. Okay, I feel afraid, and I don't even come close to where some of those folks feel. Okay, so be, And why is that? It's because they're not perfect. They're not all holy. There's a mix. You've got some that are great, and you've got some that are not. And so there's a mix of different kinds of fear there. I'm talking about a holy fear, a fear that says, I do not fear because there's somebody that, that can uh, punish me for doing something wrong unjustly. We're talking about our creator, okay? Someone who knows the heart and will always rule justly and rightly when he does, and he will. And the consequences will always be appropriate and they will always be just, if not merciful. So it's, it's recognizing who God is. There is a God. I'm not him. Are you ready? 
it's that mindset that that could happen anytime. He can show up anytime, anywhere, and the question is, am I ready? So when he says, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, he's saying, this is why you obey me. This is why you obey me. You obey me because I'm trustworthy, because I'm holy, and I'm good, and I'm great, meaning I can do, what it, I can do it all. I'm able. Okay? And the other reason really gives is, which is implied, is, and I'm with you. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. So fear God so you won't be afraid of anything else, of anyone else. Easier said than done, right? And yet that's the heart of what it is that our, that's our job as parents, is to teach our kids the fear of the Lord. Now he gives some more reasons in case you need some more. He says another reason is uh, so that you may enjoy long life. Okay? Now, I want, to, I want to live a long life. I want to see grandkids, great-grandkids. I, I want to pour into them as long as I can. And I'm writing in my journals so that when I'm gone, I can continue to pour into them if they ever get a hold of them. Um, but I'm, my goal isn't just to live a long life. I want to live a, a good life however long he gives me. And I want to enjoy it. I don't want to just exist. And I don't think you do either. You want to enjoy it. But this isn't just... Long life on earth, I don't think. This is a recognition that God holds my life in his hands, and he has offered me abundant life and eternal life that begins once I receive him. That eternal life begins that day. I become immortal, not the body, but the rest of me. And I'll get a new body one day that I'll spend eternity in, and it'll be way better, way, way better. Enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey. Reason number three. And if you want to say three and four, that's fine. It may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. That it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. And then he says, in a land flowing with milk and honey, and just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And the context there is the land of milk and honey is another way of saying a prosperous, rich land where you can raise your family in such a way that you have everything that you need. In fact, you have enough to give and bless others that God would bless you to be a blessing, which is the message of the Old Testament. Okay? This, uh, that you, you may um, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. Many of you have ta- heard me talk about the five capitals. This is from the book Oikonomics, which is a mashup of two words, economics and oikos, and yogurt aside, oikos is a Greek word that actually means um, household or extended family. Okay? And, and so it's that, and it's recognizing that you and I have things in life, most of them intangible, that, are, that have value, entrance, that have value, cap, they're capital, they're things that you want to acquire more and more of, okay? And those five things would be spiritual, relational, so spiritual capital is wisdom and power, uh, relation is friends and family, um, physical capital is time and energy. Intellectual capital is creativity and ideas, and then financial capital is money. Okay? And our world tends to put those money at the top, and then everything else gets less and less important as you get to the bottom. But the Bible reverses those, and it puts them the other way. And I put spiritual here on purpose on the thumb because you can touch all the others and, and go backwards. And I want you to think about this. If he wants to increase, how would he increase me? He would increase me financially, 
in such a way that I could support my family and encourage my family to do all that God has called us to do so that we could be a blessing to other people and not just to ourselves. Intellectually, through education, whether that's formal degrees or whether it's just learning, because you can do that without going to college. I know parents just hate me right now, but you can do that with books and things online, and there's other ways to do that. You don't have to go to college to be smart and, and do well in the world. Um, physical, okay, so there, God can bless you physically. It's really hard to use your mind if you're always in pain and suffering, so physical is a little even more important, and that's not only you know, what you eat, but it's taking care of yourself, exercise and sleep and, and strength. Time and energy, you, you, you know, time, you want more time in the day. What you're really saying is I need more energy to leverage the hours I've got. And so that's, that's capital. And then relational capital, family and friends. And you know how, you, you know, family and friends can be a huge help, okay? When they're healthy and you're healthy and you have healthy relationships, they can come around you and encourage you and help you and support you in ways that are just life-changing, life-giving. And then spiritual and that's power and wisdom. The Word of God is full of wisdom to tell you and show you how to live, starting with the example of Jesus and all the words of wisdom that he taught as well as others, but also um, power, and that is recognizing that the Holy Spirit brings the power to do the things that God tells us and calls us to do. So those things, imagine God saying, it will go well with you and that you may increase greatly in those five capital categories. Would that not bless your socks off? even if you came without socks on, right? That would be amazing. Now imagine intentionally raising your kids in such a way that they would leverage those, that they would know consciously, those are things that are important in my life if I want to be a blessing to others. If I want to make a difference in this world, I need to make sure I'm taking care of things here. I need to start here. Remember, he said that, uh, that you, starting with you, mom, your children, your, their children, your grandchildren. And, and don't limit this to just your, your kin. Your, you know? These are spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren, people that you've led to the Lord and, and how those relationships can be even more powerful in some cases. right? That's your family you're going to have forever. So, um, so those are some awesome reasons for us to be very intentional and in, in listening to him say, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land where you live, work, and play, right? Now, how do you do that? He gives us a very, and I'm going to have to just give you the short version of how, but you've heard it before. Some, for many of you, this will not be new, and that's verses 4 through 9. And it starts off with a theological statement because you know, what is it? Orthopraxy follows orthodoxy. You need to know what you believe and why. Your faith needs to be in somebody who's real and able, not just in anything. What matters what you believe in, who you believe in. But then it leads you to practice life in such a way that is consistent with that belief, if that's what you believe, okay? So if you say that you're a Christ follower, then you should walk in the ways of Christ, if you say you believe that Jesus is your Lord, then you should treat your life as if it is his to direct. I could go on. You get the idea. Hear, O Israel. This is the famous passage called the Shema. Shema means to hear as 
to, and to hear is to obey. It's that action. It's not just to hear it. It's to hear it with the intention of doing it. Hear, O Israel. So this is a passage directed originally to the Israelites. So you can say, oh, so it's not for us. Well, it's, if you want to define the Israelites, you could say those are the people of God. And if you're like me, a follower of Christ, then you know the Bible teaches you've been grafted into that family. You've been grafted into that tribe. You've been grafted into that people. You've been adopted into that family, which tells you adoption is pretty awesome, right? It also tells the scripture, also tells you've been born again. You've been born in the spirit, not just born in the flesh. And so um, that means I'm not just adopted into that, which is awesome. I'm born into that. And so whichever one you like better, just take that one and run with it, right? They're both true. He's our father, and we get to be his kids in his kingdom. And he, said, and he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We live in a world where every other, just about every other religion or faith that is practiced, they, they either intentionally worship multiple gods or they unintentionally do it. Okay? The Lord God is one. And yes, we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's not three gods. If you think that's what we're saying, then you're misunderstanding. It's God expressing himself through three but for lack of a better word, persons. It's supra-logical. It's hard. It's beyond us to be able to really, truly comprehend. But he's saying, I'm in unity and I'm in community at the same time. And that's possible. We can see that. We've seen that before. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he moves to this statement. Love, there's the action, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus says that, of course, several times, and he adds mind to it. In other words, worship God with all that you are. So to, to do these things he's calling us to do, which is obey his word, it starts with a, our motivation. Why am I obeying God? If I'm obeying God because I don't want to get punished, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to whatever, fill in the blank, then I would challenge your motivation to, be, to reach higher. I would challenge your motivation to be something that you would want to be the reason your kids obey you. Why would you want your kids to obey you? What would you want them? Why do you obey me, Junior? Well, because you're going to whip me if I don't. That doesn't sound like a very good motivation, right? You're going you're gonna to punish me. You're going to put me in timeout. Wouldn't it be better to say, because I love you and I trust you? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Okay, just, you know. Don't ask them. Just assume they'll tell you that because that's what they really mean, right? That's what he wants to hear from us. That we trust and follow him because we trust him and love him because he first loved us and empowered us to be able to respond to him as he initiated the relationship with us. We don't go to him unless he comes to us, but he comes to us. That's good news. And he frees us from the bonds that keep us from lovingly obeying, gladly submitting to a good and great God, which is what we want to do and be, right? Are we doing that perfectly? No. Okay. Okay, but let's not use that as an excuse to not try, but let's, let's rest in the fact that he can forgive and give us another chance. And then as parents, we get to do that with our kids. We get to show them what that looks like by being especially when they're real little, the God in their life. We, we, I mean, let's face it. We tell them what to do, and there's consequences if they don't do it, right? They're dependent on you when they're real little. They can't take care of themselves for, all, for several years, right? And it's God showing them what it looks like in our relationship with him. 
We need him. We can't do this without him. Oh, we try, so do they. Okay, so maybe grace and mercy is a part of that even as you discipline them. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, and that's just his way of saying, internalize my word, not just here, but here. And this is the seed of our emotions and our volition. That means I, what I choose to do and not to do. I have a will, and I will exercise it. Thank you very much. But I want it to be submitted gladly to him. It's not always there. Okay, but, but when I internalize his word, my heart and my will softens towards his and, and if my mind is in his word, then there's that logical battle that it encourages me to do that. So if it's on my heart, that means it's coming out. It's, it's kind of the overflow of my life. And this is how, and then these are the more practical steps that he gives us, starting in verse 7. Impress them, that is these commands, impress them on your children. Now, you, you've done this before, moms. I know, we kids remember, um, when the, they're done, we're starting to do something, go somewhere, and you grab them by the arm and yank them back, and when they finally let go, there's these prints of fingers around the arm, right? You have impressed yourself on them, right, to make a point. You will stay here. That's, that's the start of the meaning of this word. It's not just say it. It's really make an impression on your children, okay? And that's not necessarily, you know, at the woodshed, so to speak. But you know what I'm saying. Sometimes, right, there's lots of ways to do this. We do it in love, not in anger. And we do it um, with an aim to discipline them towards godliness, okay? Sometimes impression is through discipline. Sometimes impression is through uh, encouragement, positive reinforcement. It's through your example. Are they seeing you submit to God gladly? Are they seeing you apologize when you mess up? Have you ever apologized to your kids for doing discipline poorly? Man, I have. I've done it wrong a lot. And their amazing capacity for forgiveness will just melt your heart. Um, these commands I've given to you are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Now, here's how you impress them. This is how he explains to impress them. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk around the road, along the road, we would say drive, down the, drive around town. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, it's when you go, go to bed, and when you get up, when you wake them up in the morning. So that's pretty much 24-7 minus the sleeping time, right? Okay, there's no gaps in there. Okay, so moms, you have an incredible challenge and tension to manage that we dads don't fully understand, okay? At least this one doesn't. And it's this tension between the multiple jobs you, ca- you have as a mom, right? One of those jobs is, I, I'm in most cases, and, you know, there's Mr. Moms and all that's fine, but in many, if not most cases, mom's responsible for, for the details of raising kids, organizing, running the household, that kind of thing. If dad's got a job somewhere else and he's gone for hours a day, somebody's got to make this happen back at the homestead. And that falls to mom in a lot of cases, okay? That's one of your jobs, okay? Raising kids is not that job. It's, they overlap, and that's where it happens. But raising your kids in such a way that they're educated not only by the school books that they open, but educated by life 
the life teachings that you do as you walk along the road, as you get up, as you go to sleep, as you your chores and, and how to share and, and how not to talk back to your mom and how to take out the trash with a good attitude and how to play with the kids well next door. And as they grow older, it gets more and more, you know, there's more and more to that. Those are two huge jobs. And some of you have another job outside the home or under the same roof in that corner office. And so you have an incredible challenge before you, and it's how do I manage all this, okay? There's no guy that could do any of this, okay? All right, I know there's guys that try. Sometimes you don't have a choice. But God is, is giving you the ability and the space to do that. Now, you have to figure out the best way to do that. And everybody's circumstances are different. So I'm not scripting anything here. I'm not going to tell you how to do that because I don't know. But I want you to recognize the tension. I want to acknowledge the tensions that you're feeling. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you don't get things out of priority whack in such a way that it hurts. And you look back one day and go, I wish I had done that differently. Okay? And that's why I believe these verses are so important because he, God sets the priority here. It's impressing the commands of Christ on your kids through their minds and through their hearts. And, through their, and it's through your mind as you speak truth into their life. It's through your heart as you lovingly discipline. I mean, right, you, you, you punish your kids, they're crying, and then you hug them. You're like, that seems inconsistent. Not at all. Not at all. Because I disciplined you because I love you. And you need to know that I'm not thinking any less of you because I disciplined you. I love you and I care if I'm not disciplining you, I don't care. And that communicates. Okay? So, it, and then we do it through our hands, right? We, we train them. We're not just teaching them. We're training them. Making your bed matters. Cleaning your room matters. And I know all the kids just left and you're like, why did you send them out already, right? Those things matter. Because why? They're fundamental foundational truths that if you can't keep your own world in order, how are you going to go out there and fix that one? And if you can't keep, and, and it's not just the tangible things in our lives, if you can't keep your heart in order, right, how are you going to choose a spouse well? How are you going to parent your kids well, right? That's why he starts with, so that you, your children, and their children will fear the Lord. You see why we need to be abiding in Christ and remaining in him? You see why John 15 matters? It's because we can't do this without him. We can't do the fathering thing like, well, we can't do the mothering thing well. It's incredibly challenging. And yet, God wouldn't ask you to do something you can't do in his power. That would be cruel. And sometimes we think, feels like cruel and unusual punishment is underway under the house, under the roof of our house. But it, it's... God has given and made available to you and me everything we need to do, everything he's called us to do. The question is, are we leveraging that? Are we, are we asking and, and resting in that? And then he finishes it up this way. Tie them as symbols on your hands. That is the commands of God. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of, the, of your houses and on your gates. And there's a lot of ways you could do this. Um, they had their ways of doing it that, in that day. Um, one of the ways we do is we put framed pictures of Scripture on the walls of our home. 
Just, it's just a simple thing, okay? Um, and yet I, I walk in from the garage into the house, and there's still, since the day we built the house 15 years ago, there's this little, um, I think we made it in a youth group one time. It's just this little piece of slate with a paint pen, and it's Philippians 4.13. And I walk by that, and I don't read it every time, but it, it registers and sometimes it registers more than that. You know, there's the scripture that you see. The bathroom's a really good place to put scripture on the wall, right? Because you spend time there with nothing to do, right? All right, so, you know, there's way, this is kind of the idea. It's like, be practical, be, be strategic. Moms, put scripture on the walls of your house, okay? Put scriptures around where they can find them and see. But, but that's, not an, that's not your primary, that's supplemental. They need to hear you saying it, praying it, teaching it, training them to memorize it, but training you to go from not just in the head, but to the heart. They need to see you fleshing it out, exercising wisdom so that they go, oh, now I understand why, what you mean when you say bad company corrupts good morals. Oh, I understand now, right after you pull them out of the principal's office and say, okay, now let's, let's review. How did you end up in the principal's office? Well, I was just hanging with my friends Tell me about your friends. Not that you don't already know, right? Because you're involved. So, so to summarize in three words, kind of what has he done here? It's, he said, listen, hear, O Israel. Listen with a posture to obey. Love God and love people. And your people start with your people under your roof. Starts with you and then your, your family. Starts with, and then you move out from there. And lead others to do the same. Train them up in the way they should go. Okay? And that's your blood family, and that's your spiritual family. That's what we're here to do. And this is 1,600 years before Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Because it's one book, it's one story for us. This morning, we got to see our grandson, our first grandson, dedicated at another church nearby where our kids go in Hanahan. Sorry, didn't expect that. And he was just, all he could do was turn around and look at the, the musicians. He's six months old, and all he could, you know, all these people, it's it funny to watch. But we saw our daughter and our son-in-law up there dedicating their first son to the Lord. Okay? I'm happy because they're dedicating their child to the Lord. They're saying, you gave him to us, now we're going to give him back. Okay, that, that is hard to do. Right? Many of you have done that. We've had people do that in the last couple of weeks. They've dedicated their kids to the Lord. And as a church, our job is to come alongside of those folks and say we're part of that dedication and that we're here to help you do what you're doing. But what really got me was that they... that they chose to do it. The parents. They didn't have to do that. We did that. But they didn't have to do that. Samantha was there, but she was this big. She doesn't remember it, but she knows we did it. 
And so when you see your kids doing what you think matters more than anything, it just fills you up, okay? In the same way that when you see them not doing what you want them to do, it breaks your heart. And we can't control what they do. They were given minds of their own. Don't we know it? (laughs) I know you want to see your kids do things that make you feel good about what you did and why you led them the way you do. If you want to leverage supernatural power to succeed at that, abide in Christ and follow his commands, walk in his ways, and impress it on your children. Right? Listen, love, and lead others to do the same. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, as we, um, as we think about what you've said to us today, It's uh, humbling uh, that you would say such great words to us that give us every chance to succeed. And yet there are no guarantees. And so, Lord, I pray that we would surrender first ourselves and then our kids and our grandkids and our, all those people that are special to us in our lives and recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing that really matters. but we need you to accomplish that. We cannot do it without you. And so, Lord, as we sing these songs, these couple of songs, Lord, as we respond to you, remembering the cross, my prayer, God, is that uh, you will hear the prayers and the cries of our hearts, whether they're cries of grief or cries of celebration and joy or a mixture of that and more. Help us to recognize that we recognize enough to say we need you and that we would surrender our lives to you so that we might receive the the power and love and wisdom that we need from you that comes through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.